All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. Got it, thanks. I thought of that, I thought, I better check that. And I want to preach this evening on dealing with discouragement. The old saying, as a matter of fact, I heard it tonight, uh, when, when it rains, it pours. And sometimes, boy, that's true, you know, it seems like when you have one problem and then another problem just kind of follows suit and then another problem. And just when you think, man, uh, this is crazy, yet another one comes. And so uh, sometimes that happens. Last week we looked at the psalmist having a pity party, and certainly that can happen when you get discouraged as well. Uh, but in, in Psalm 38, he was really lamenting his personal problems, but this psalm deals more so with discouragement. And, and let's just face it, everyone faces discouragement at some time in their life. And sometimes uh, it's more common than others for some people, and sometimes it's not so much. But everyone will face discouragement at some point and some place in their life. And Psalm 39 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for your word that we can look in, we can study, God, we can learn from, we can draw strength, we can draw courage, we can draw hope, we can draw faith, we can draw the encouragement that we need in our life. God, I pray that you would use me this evening. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd encourage each and every person, each and every believer that's here tonight, and maybe those who are tuned in online, Father, and we'll thank you for that. God will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we think about this passage, uh, and we think about discouragement, discouragement, I've thought about this sometimes, discouragement often is the result of unfulfilled expectations. And so many times you expect something. Uh, I read uh, uh, an illustration, I don't even, it wasn't even necessarily for, um, for the message, I just read it somewhere, and, uh, and the guy said, I had prayed, I was in a storm, and I prayed that God would uh, take the storm away, and that it would quit raining, and it did not, and I was discouraged. And then I realized, maybe God wants me to go through the storm, and so I prayed that God would, uh, would guide me through the storm and be with me through the storm, and I learned that God wanted me to navigate the storm, and I'm far better because of the storm. And, uh, and sometimes we do become discouraged because of, of maybe un, un, uh, prayers that were not answered the way we thought they should have been. Or maybe circumstances that didn't turn out the way we thought they were going to turn out. And we can become discouraged by that. And, uh, and so this psalm kind of deals with some of this. And uh, the psalmist, really in verses 1 and 2 that we read there, uh, he talks about his silence. Uh, notice he says there in verse 1, he said, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked 
is before me. Notice there in verse number one, the silence that he's saying he's going to take. He's saying, hey, I'm going uh, to zip it. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to talk and I'm not going to say some things. And, uh, and certainly his motive is good, is good, at least the intention there, uh, because he said, hey, I'm not going to sin with my tongue. And, uh, and his desire there was certainly a good thing. And sometimes, uh, listen, the words that we speak, sometimes they can be discouraging uh, to other people. We've got to be careful about that. Uh, and sometimes we don't even intend that, but sometimes that's the way it comes out. And, uh, and listen, because we're sinful creatures, it's easy to speak words that are incorrect. Uh, you ever notice that? It's easy to just uh, let things out that shouldn't have gone out. Uh, it's easy to tear things down. I've used the illustration before. Uh, it is far easier uh, to destroy something uh, than it is to build something. There are two different uh, ways to go about things uh, on Lincoln Way. They're, they're tear, they tore down the old fisher's food. And man, they got... It's probably fun to be in the demolition crew, to be honest with you. I mean, you get in there and you just... Man, you just let it rip. You know, the wall comes down and you don't have to worry about it being neat and straight and level and you don't have to measure nothing. I mean, it's just rip and tear and break it all down. I mean, uh, that would probably be enjoyable, at least for a, a week or two. Uh, but man, you notice they're, they're building new buildings and you'll notice they don't go up near as fast as they came down. Uh, a couple days, man, they had that thing cleared, leveled and gone, hauled away. It was all done. And uh, they've been working for several weeks now to, to build. And listen, the same is true in life. In, in just a short time, you can tear down, discourage, and destroy something with the words that you use. But listen, sometimes it takes a long time to build things up. It takes a long time to build people up. It takes a long time to encourage, edify, and exhort other people and, and help them in their life. And so the psalmist is not a bad thing that he said, hey, uh, I'm going to keep my mouth silent and I'm not going to say anything and, and I don't want to say the wrong words. Look with me in James, save your spy here in Psalm 39. And you cannot hardly touch uh, the idea of the tongue without thinking about the book of James, James chapter number 3. And verse number one, James 3, 1. And he, matter of fact, he mentions the bridle. He says, I'm going to put a bridle in my mouth. And uh, he says here in James 3, 1, I'm in Peter. James chapter 3, in verse number one, he says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. But we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. And he's just giving an illustration, but he says there in verse number two, uh, if any, uh, for in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. You know what that tells me? That tells me that everyone in this room has offended somebody else with words. It just happens. It happens easily. It happens accidentally. It happens swiftly. And we've got to be very careful. And the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 39 in verse 1, he's saying, hey, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. 
And he's saying, hey, I have a desire to keep my mouth uh, clean and right and not say those things which I ought not say. But look in verse number two, as we look at his silence, he said this, I was dumb with silence. Let me just stop and explain this for, uh, for everyone, uh, and particularly younger folks. Dumb does not mean stupid, okay? They're, they're two different things. In the Bible, uh, that word dumb is used frequently, and it does not mean ignorant or unlearned or stupid. It means without the ability to talk. That's what the word means. And, uh, and it does go hand in hand, and sometimes, honestly, if you, if you have somebody who is physically not able to talk, uh, then, then uh, they, you might ask them a question. They might not give you an answer. You might think, well, they're stupid. Uh, no, they're dumb. They're not able to speak. And so there's a difference there. And that's probably where the implications of the word dumb and how we use it today came about. But nonetheless, uh, dumb simply means unable to speak. And, uh, and notice his discipline. He says, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. Listen, he, he was holding his tongue in the beginning. He says, uh, I was dumb with silence. Uh, I didn't speak, and I didn't say anything, and I didn't open my mouth, and I, I was careful uh, about what I said. And, and he, you see his discipline about the fact that, hey, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, which sometimes can be a challenge. And, uh, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm being quiet. I'm not saying anything. But I want you to notice there in the middle of the verse that, uh, that I think he goes a little bit too far because he says this. Look at what he says. He says, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good. And I think he went a little bit too far. My, uh, I, I remember learning many times that, uh, that I think it was my dad taught me. He said, you can fall off the bridge on the right hand and you can fall off the bridge on the left hand. Uh, side. You, you, you want to stay, you know, in the middle. You don't want to be on one extreme or one other extreme. And that's so true. You can, you can uh, talk so much that you cause all kinds of problems. Then you can be so quiet that nobody even knows you're there. And maybe you have truth that you need to give to people, but you're not giving it. And, and the psalmist says, I, I was silent even, I, uh, even from that which is good, he said, um, even from good. And so uh, perhaps he was saying, hey, I, I should have said stuff and I did not. And listen, there's a, there's a time uh, when we should say something. There are times when we should say something and instead we exercise the great discipline of quietness uh, when we should say something. And, uh, and boy, you got to know when the difference is and you got to know when you can say stuff and when you should say stuff. But nonetheless, the, the psalmist here is being quiet. He said, man, I'm not saying anything. And you almost kind of get the idea of his sullen attitude that goes with it. Saying, man, I, I'm, I'm tired of all this. And I'm, not, I'm just not going to say anything. And look at what he goes into in verse number three. Or in verse number two, the end of it. And my sorrow was stirred. In other words... Because of his quietness, because he didn't say anything, because of uh, him just uh, biting his tongue and, and not saying anything, eventually he became saddened because of the situations that he found himself in. Not only that, but go on to verse 3. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. When I spake with my then spake I with my tongue. 
And so we find that uh, because of his silence, uh, that boy, it bothered him. Uh, the Bible says that his, his heart was hot within him. And that word hot means to be angered. In other words, hey, first his sorrow was stirred and, and he became uh, uh, sad and, and discouraged about what was going on around him. And, and he didn't bother speaking up and saying anything about anything. And so uh, he became sad because of the entirety of everything. And then after he was sad, his next emotion was, hey, I, I got mad. I got angry. I got frustrated. And sometimes, listen, uh, because we're, uh, that sorrow will dump into a disappointment or a discouragement that can really even make you frustrated or even angry. And if we're not careful, we can turn that anger towards God. Boy, a lot of people get mad at God. A lot of people won't come to church. A lot of people won't talk to you about God. And, and why is it? They're mad at God. And when you dig down in, something happened in their life. And, and no doubt it was painful. I'm not saying it was not painful. But for whatever reason, they pin that blame on God. And that's where it hangs. And in their mind, God should have done something and he did not. And they become angry. And we find that David is almost in that point where he said, uh, he says there in verse number two, uh, at the end, my sorrow was stirred. Verse number three, my heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned. That word musing means to be thinking while he was uh, contemplating everything that was going on and all the things that were around him and how he did not say anything and, and he just thought things would change and they did not. And so his sorrow, his feelings, and he found fault with God and perhaps he even blamed God. And many times that takes place. But I want you to notice his frustration because the Bible says there in verse three, then spake I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know mine end. First and foremost, I think it's good that he was he turned to God. A lot of people don't turn to God. They'll turn to everyone else and they'll tell how rotten of a terrible job that God did to their life and the situation and how they were, uh, they were things didn't, didn't go well for them. And, and instead, the psalmist wisely and correctly turns to God. Listen, sometimes it's okay to vent to God. It's okay to talk to God. It's always okay. It's good to go to God. There's nothing wrong with going to God. And so the psalmist goes to God and, and you do sense a little bit of venting as we read through some of these verses uh, because of his frustration. And, uh, and look at this in verse number four. We notice this. He says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. I almost feel like in verse four, he's like, Elijah, Elisha, uh, one of those prophets that, that said, Lord, there's no other prophets and I only am in left and, and why don't you just take my life too? And he's saying, hey, I'm at the end and uh, my, I'm frail and I wasn't able to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish and why don't you just show me the end of my life and let's just get it over with. I've failed in life. You can, you can sense his discouragement there. As he shows and asks for all of that. And, he, and even at the end, that I may know how frail I am. 
Look at, we notice that as he's finalizing all these things and expressing even his own frailness. Look in verse number five and six, we see his futility of life. He says, behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth and mine age as nothing. Before thee, verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. He's saying in verse number five that, listen, life is short. He's saying my days are as a handbreadth and that my age is nothing. In other words, uh, I've not lived very long and, and life is too short on this world. And, and really, I haven't had very many accomplishments. And, and, and really, he's feeling as though he has failed in his life. Look at verse number six as he goes on. He's talking about how futile it is. Uh, even in verse number five, let's go back there for a minute. He says... Um, Verily every man, right in the middle of the verse, verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. In other words, what is the best state? What is the best place in life? Well, different people would define it differently. And, uh, and everyone, based on where they have been, and they look at their life and say, well, my best days of my life were, man, when I had this job and this and that, and, and they'll talk about possessions and they'll talk about things or they'll talk about strength or they'll talk about prominence or they'll talk about something else. And basically saying that most people would define the best state of their life as some vain attribute that, that is valid in this world, but ultimately not valid with God. And that's how he's defining it. He's saying the best state is, is vanity. Go on to verse number six, and he talks about belongings. He said, surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Boy, that's man, isn't it? He's got to get this and he's got to get that and he's got to make acquire all the goods of this world. But in the end, he, he says this, he doesn't, in the last part of the verse, he says, and knoweth not who shall gather them. In other words, when he's gone, where are they going to go? They're going to be gone. And, and who knows where they're going to go? Who knows where they're going to end up? Oh, you hope they end up here and end up there. But in reality, you really don't know where they're going to end up. And that's what David is expressing. He's saying, hey, life is futile and the things that you can acquire on this earth is, is futile and life is vain. If you think about the way it's defined in, in most people and, and his feelings are, are frustration as we see the sorrow of the psalmist is expressed throughout all of this. Now, we'll still be glad because he is pouring his heart out to God. He's not, he's not pouring his heart out to other people. These are words that, uh, that, hey, if he went to a friend, boy, he could really discourage his friend and bring his friend down with him. And, and uh, no, he's discussing this with God. And so uh, that's a good thing that he's gone to God to vent all of this. But notice in verse 7, as it changes, as it often does, Psalms many times start out with uh, the bad and the negative, and then they turn midway through and go to something positive. In verse number 7, he says this, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. We see his submission to God. 
We see his, his silence in the first two verses and his sadness as he expresses verses three down through six. And verse number seven, we see his submission to God. And he's saying, hey, uh, listen, what am I waiting for? I'm not waiting for uh, the prominence. I'm not waiting for the riches. I'm not waiting for the possessions that this world can give me. I'm not wanting to define my life by what is ex exists in this world, but rather I trust in thee. Boy, what a great statement. As he says, I, my hope is in thee. He's saying, hey, I trust and my faith. Uh, and I, want, I, want, uh, I don't want the futility of all this world has to offer. But I want my faith and my hope to be placed in God. Look at verse number 8. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. And he's asking for freedom from the worldly mindset. Boy, that's a prayer we could pray almost every day in the society we live in. Uh, we're constantly bombarded with the need for things. And, and he's saying, hey, I don't want that. Deliver me from, from that mindset. Deliver me from those ideas of, of vanity and thinking that I'm something or thinking that I have something. And, and deliver me from those. Look at verse number nine. He says, I was dumb Again, unable to speak. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Notice the difference here between verse 9 and verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, he vowed, he's like, I'm not going to speak. I'm done. I'm not saying anything. I'm closing my mouth. But in verse 9, the idea is more so, I, I was dumb. I'm not going to speak. I'm not able to speak because he's waiting on God. He, he doesn't even know what to say. And he says, thou didst it. In other words, hey, I'm going to step back and I'm going to wait for what God is going to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to allow God to move. And I'm going to watch for what God is going to do. And, and so his faith was in God. He stated that very clearly, very emphatically in verse number seven. And he, he's asking for forgiveness and deliverance from that mindset. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to wait on you. In verse number 10, he said, remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. Verse nine, he's saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on God. And listen, your, your chastisement. Uh, your punishment has corrected me uh, and brought me to the place that I realize that's a wrong mindset. And I'm not interested in that. And I am interested in waiting on God. And, uh, and he says that in verse number 10 as he's talking about uh, being chastised and, and being corrected even. In verse number 11 he mentions that correction. When thou rebukes or when thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. In other words, hey, God rebukes us. And when he does, notice the, the phrase there. I want you to see this. Let's read it one more time. Verse 11. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity. So God is correcting man because of iniquity, because of his sin, man's sin. Thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. You know, oftentimes man, when he's in his vanity, when he's in his glory, and he has this or he has that, or maybe it's possessions, maybe it's a car, maybe it's a position. He finally made it to that uh, place of authority that he wanted to get to, and, and he has all of that. In his mind, it's all beautiful. 
And he's saying, hey, it's a beautiful thing. And, the, and David, the psalmist, is saying, no, 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 you've taken away his beauty. In other words, it's, it's not as beautiful as it may seem when you realize the price that it comes with or the price tag that you have to pay. And you realize God rebukes him and says, it ain't worth it. And, and on top of that, it's all vanity. You'd be better off just living for God and serving God and not worrying about those things. And, and so he's saying, hey, uh, when God corrects a man, uh, thou makest his beauty to consume away. In other words, uh, it's no longer as pretty in his eyes. It's no longer as uh, fulfilling in his eyes. And it goes away and it's, it becomes vain and it becomes empty. Notice that the fix, though, as we see this focus is turned away from worldly things and away from the ideas of vanity and the things that the world has to offer. And they're turned to God in verses 12 and 13. He says this, hear my prayer, O Lord, give an ear unto my cry. Hold not my peace, hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. And he's saying, God, I want to come back to you. And I'm interested in following you. And I'm interested in walking with you. And I'm interested in obeying you. And, and God, I want you to hear my prayers. In verse 13, he says, Oh, spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. He's saying, God, I, I don't want to live for this world while I'm alive in this world. I want to live for you. He's saying, spare me. Hey, give me the strength to recover me. Get me out of that mindset and out of those things and following after God and with the mindset to obey God and walk with God. He's saying, spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence. In other words, before I die and be no more. And he's saying, my life is over and I wouldn't have an opportunity further. Uh, to do more for you. And so he's saying, God, I want to live for you while I'm still alive, while I still have breath on this earth. What a great prayer. What a great change that takes place as David, in verses 7 through 13, really, he submits himself to the hand of God and says, God, I want to follow you. I do not want to live for this world. And, uh, and what a great difference that we see in his life. Listen, that's what we ought to do. Uh, you will get discouraged if you live for this life, if you live for this world, you live for the things of this world, but you'll be discouraged. You might attain them, but I tell you what, once you get them, you'll be like, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't valid. It wasn't what I thought it was. It wasn't as glorious as I thought it would be. It wasn't as enjoyable as I thought it might be. And, and really, you'll look back and say, man, I wish I had just followed God and given up all of the vanity and followed God with my life. And that's what the psalmist is really coming to as he goes through that psalm and his discouragement because of the world and frustration around him and saying, hey, I, I want to follow God. That's what we need in our life. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this psalm. God, I pray that you would just touch hearts as only you can. God, I pray that you would encourage each and every person. God, help us to understand and realize that living for the vanity of this world is not worth it. It ultimately does lead to discouragement, disappointment. God, I pray that you would help us as Christians 
to follow you, to live for you, and God, to follow you with our life to the very end. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we stand to our feet and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the piano begins.